Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this second podcast in a series of podcasts for the Spectator's Economic Innovator of the Year Awards for 2021, sponsored by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers. This is the fourth year of our awards scheme. It was originally called the Disruptor of the Year scheme, but we felt last year that COVID was such a massive disruptor that it kind of won all the awards for being a disruptor, so we changed the name to Innovator. It kind of means the same thing, maybe slightly different, but anyway, good in, good innovators are also disruptors and vice versa. So there we are. That's the presentation of it. We work on a regional basis. We look at five regions around the country. Last week, we were talking to 12 semi-finalists for London and the Southeast, and we had a fascinating session with them. Today, we've been talking to four semi-finalists from the Midlands. One of the challenges for our judges is that we look at businesses across the whole range from fintech to edutech to electric vehicle technology to AI, healthcare, you name it. And we're comparing apples and pears all all the time. So it's terribly difficult to pick the winners, but it's a fascinating task for us as judges. It's very enjoyable and it's great for the spectator to be associated with innovation and business growth and entrepreneurship, which we greatly admire. And we're particularly grateful to Charles Stanley, distinguished, long-established firm of originally stockbrokers, now wealth managers, to have joined us as our partner this year and sponsor this. So I have with me three judges for the region. They are Kate Griffiths-Lambert, representing Charles Stanley, Claire Evans from Deloitte, the accountancy firm, and Clive Borden from Warwick Music, which is one of our past winners in these awards, but Clive also wears a number of other hats in the entrepreneurship and other fields in the region. So I'm going to invite them, first of all, just to say a brief word about themselves and their interest in in our award scheme. So I'll start with Kate, please. Charles Stanley are delighted to be working with The Spectator for this particular awards. This is something that is going to be paving the future for the UK, but also potentially for the world. And it's great to see things that are really making a difference. I am a member of Charles Stanley's executive team. I'm a lawyer by initial training um, and have worked as a derivatives dealer before moving into my current role. I helped co-found a fintech long before it became a fintech and it was an industry leader for a while. So I know what it's like to be getting a business off the ground. Really impressed by the calibre of the finalists that we are have seen from the Midlands um, and looking forward to discussing them with you. Thank you very much. Claire Evans. Hello, I'm Claire Evans. I am a partner in, in Deloitte and my work day to day is with privately owned businesses and their owners. So I'm really passionate about helping and standing side by side um, entrepreneurs as they go through their growth life cycle from early phase through growth to, to exit. So this um, being part of this awards really kind of goes to the core of what I do in my day job. And like Kate, we've seen a fantastic group of presenters that really tick off all of those boxes. So I'm really, really, really pleased to be part of this and to hear actually that um, innovation in the UK is in really good hands from the four that we've heard from today. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to 
take part with us. So over to Clive, an old friend of the award scheme, as I said. So some, some listeners may have heard Clive on these podcasts before. Clive, a brief intro and also tell us with all your different hats on what it feels like for entrepreneurs and business builders in the Midlands right now in the sort of post-COVID recovery phase, we hope. Well, that could be a very long podcast, Martin. It's an interesting time. By background, director of Warwick Music Group, we were lucky enough uh, four years ago to be the first disruptor of the year, now innovator of the year in the West Midlands and a finalist nationally, which was an amazing opportunity for the business in terms of our profile and our our scope did a major thing for our team in terms of boosting our morale and, and, and showing us that we were on the path to success. The last 12 months has been a challenge, definitely, but the business is weathered it and starting to, to really kick on ahead. Outside the summer, for me, brings a number of things, but skateboarding and, and helping set up a, a new national governing body for skateboarding, that new Olympic sport, and seeing Bombette and Sky as finalists has been fantastically satisfying, but... Um, but an interesting time in that regard. Uh, entrepreneurship in the Midlands. Look, I think it depends which part of the economy you're in, frankly. I've visited Birmingham a number of times over recent weeks. It's a very quiet city centre. Equally, when I look at road traffic around me and I look at some of the industrial parks, it's clearly there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a, an awful lot of Zoom and Teams meetings going on. There's, clearly the world is kicking on. Uh, it just may look different to what went before. Um, and I don't know about you, the challenge on most of the conversations I have these days is when are you going into the office then? What well, that's the common with all all generations, but mostly my younger colleagues. That's the real conversation right now, and most of them seem to have changed their minds on what they want to do going forward. You know, so maybe we'll touch on that later on, Martin. But uh, thank you for inviting me again. I was really keen uh, to get on a train uh, to Birmingham this morning, but I was told it, it's still, frankly, a lot easier to to assemble a group of. I think there were there were ten of us on the call earlier on. It's still much easier and more familiar at the moment to do it on Zoom. But Kate or Claire, do you, do you sense business returning to something like normality and the general level of business bubbling upwards? What, what's your feeling, Kate? Um, well, we've had a pretty busy time, actually, from March the 23rd, nearly two years ago, <laughs> right the way through. And obviously, a fair number of our clients are individuals who've made money through innovative businesses that they founded or are families with investment that they can put into opportunities that they want to see grow. When we had the pandemic and everybody was in lockdown, I think it's quite well known that actually there was quite a an uptick in people looking at investment as a possible thing to do. Um, many of those individuals, I think, were doing it more as a hobby rather than as a, a, a formal focus. I'm pleased to say that the froth in the market, I think, has died down a bit now. And we've got a slightly more mature, long-thinking, sustainable approach. But in general, we've seen activity right the way through the past 18 months. And I'm very optimistic for what's going in the future, particularly having listened to what we listened to um, from the various shortlisted finalists that we spoke to this afternoon. They're a good example of the kind of opportunities that people are looking to put cash into. Thank you. I think you're speaking to us from southwest London. Claire, I'm not sure where you are. Are you in the Midlands right now? I am in the Midlands. And I think just to pick up on some of what Clive was saying, yes, I'm frequently 
in Birmingham, I should say, more frequently than, than I was, things are picking up, but very, very slowly, I think it's fair to say. I think actually this week will be a bit of a, a test. So a lot of our schools, certainly in the Midlands, are back today. And it just seemed to be a bit of a sense that that was a back to school, back to kind of really properly getting in harness for lots of lots of offices. So I, whilst I don't think um, we're going to be anywhere near probably even 50% of capacity, I'm not talking about our office, I'm talking more generally, I just get there's a sense of trying to get back to some level of normality. But I think this way of working is with us, actually. And I can just imagine a time when we're just going to have this hybrid model, because actually it does work well. You can get big groups of people together at the drop of a hat and have actually very rich conversations. And just thinking back to what my business journey has been as an advisor for the last 18 months, actually, we've transitioned really well onto Zoom. We've created some really good relationships from from scratch where we had no relationship before or entirely through Zoom. So I think we've definitely proved the model. But I think um, most of us don't really want to be doing this forever. And we do crave getting back into offices while seeing the benefits of some aspects of this. So it's a shame we can all be together today. But um, as we're proving, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Well, apparently even the governor of the Bank of England has told his staff they still don't need to come back in into the office. But happily, the spectator has been kind of back in the office for quite a long time. And it, I must say, is is as buzzing and fun as it has ever been. Anyway, let's move on and let's talk about the four companies we've heard from this morning. So very briefly, they are called Blue Tick, which is edutech. It's maths teaching online. Petalite, which is in the electric vehicle charging industry. Regionally, which is a fintech, an investment business, raising capital, connecting investors to high growth businesses in the regions away from London. And finally, Zipabout, which is clever technology for travellers to give travellers by any form of transport the best and most up-to-date information to help them pick their journeys. So, as I said, a total range of businesses, very difficult to compare the four, but we'll just offer some comments from what we've heard today. I'm going to start with with Blue Tick. Kate, would you like to tell us a little more about it and tell us, tell us what you thought were the, the positives on Blue Tick? Um, I think Blue Tick is filling a serious gap in the market. We know that there is a STEM subject skills shortage. We know that there's huge pressure on teachers. And Blue Tick enables learners to get real-time feedback as they're going through um, using AI to actually help enhance the experience. It does live marking, so you haven't got the onus on the teachers to spend all of their time having to mark a large quantity of pupils, and you can actually see the work that's being done as the pupil progresses. So you can pick up as they go along where they might be slightly coming off the rails and correct it before it becomes a serious ongoing problem. I think that it is something that is scalable, So although at the moment it's very much applied to the UK and GCSEs, um, I know a bit about the education system in the States, and I think that it will be very useful in that more fragmented environment to really help learners progress. I'm not at all surprised that they're looking at other subjects. So Spanish and geography are two of the early 
areas that they are also looking at being able to progress into. I think this could be a real game changer for the way that education is delivered globally, not just within the UK. Thank you. Clive or Claire, did, do you have any particular observation on Blue Tick? Yeah, just echo much of what Kate said, really. It was really um, absolutely of the moment. I think expanding it to other subjects is the is the obvious next growth area. But as a um, parent of um, kids that have worked through um, some of the other competitor, well, not quite competitors, but those maths platforms, the absolute um, USP is this, it teaches as it goes. So it's not simply you input your answer, is it right or wrong, you're learning. And so where you can't have a teacher looking over your shoulder to step you through, unless you're parent, as parents you're very good at maths, then it seems to be fulfilling that need. And so I think it's, um, it's great. And I think, I mean, hopefully schools are really now back and functioning normally, but this is only going to be additive. So I don't think it's replacing, it's just really enhancing the experience. My one question, which we weren't, weren't able to really ask, is um, around accessibility, particularly to children who are kind of on, on lower incomes, for example, because I presume it um, means that you have to have a very functioning, high-functioning device in order to run it. Um, so my, my question would be, does it, whilst it enables and kind of the STEM and the, the need to invest in that, does it actually drive division for those that have the right devices and those that don't? Fine, thank you. I mean, it was a great, lively, clear presentation from Rob Percival, one of the, the founders of the business. Let's move on to the next one. I'm going to go to Clive. Clive, would you like to say a word or two about Zipabout for us? Sure, Martin, no problems. So Zipabout's a, a, a Midlands-based, just moved to Leamington Spa near me, technology company and its strapline or its entry form talks about helping people move easily and safely around the transport network by providing personalised travel information. So the team talked about uh, its use within particularly around the the transport system uh, around the Olympics that's where the business started a number of years ago and more recently working with national rail inquiries and also a I believe unnamed ferry company I think we the four of us know who that company is, but unnamed at this point. Ferry company going forward. My take is, you know, there are a number of really positive things about this business. It, you know, it, it, it not only raised finance and sold things, that's always good. You know, innovation without a use case, without a, a market is, is only half of the picture. And, and therefore, there's a lot to like from my perspective. I guess the queries really going forward are around... The, you know, the end user trust that was my question asked at the time which is once you've had a bad experience for example you know you turn up somewhere and it doesn't do what the app has predicted would happen you know what what happens then um but i get you know at this moment in time you know while transport use will have diminished undoubtedly over the last 12 18 months from where the business probably wanted to be two years ago i think with the, the need to reduce you know emissions the need to reduce imprint imprint into cities I think some of the things they're doing are, you know, they may be absolutely genius this time. Uh, they may take a little bit longer to turn out. Um, but there's a lot to like about this business. I'd be interested in the, the three of you's thoughts as well. Yeah, well, I, I, having spent Friday afternoon battling my way home from London to Yorkshire through a railway system collapsing because of a person in front of a train at Biggles Way, as it turned out to be. And, you know, all information available at King's Cross turned out to be wrong, including the the guidance that it, you'd be better to go to St Pancras and take a train to Manchester, you know, to connect to York. Not at all. If you just got on the train that was on Platform 3, it left almost immediately and went straight to York. So there we are. So I, as an inveterate train user, long for something that gives me really good information and tells me which choice to make at any moment. Claire, did you, do you have any observation on this one? 
I can share the same sort of pain, not not with that journey on, on Friday, but certainly over the recent weeks with the um, the crew shortages on trains, getting a, one true source of um, what's happening with your trains and trains just not being there. And even the company's apps weren't telling you the right thing. So actually just having that universal point of truth on transport port would be fantastic. So a very avid user I will be. And no, we understand this is a business where you don't actually, you don't download a zip about app. It's simply... It's the brain that powers the information systems coming from National Rail and so on and trying to improve their communications. I think very useful if they can perfect their product. Now, Claire, would you like to now tell us about Petalite in the electric vehicle charging industry? Yeah, so Petalite. So Lee Pennell um, spoke to us as founder and CEO of Petalite, which, as you say, is looking to revolutionise the um, electric vehicle charging industry. And this is obviously a global imperative as we seek to achieve our carbon goals. Interesting statistic is that by 2030, there will be over 120 million electric vehicles on the road, according to a McKinsey um, study in 2018. So a huge market there. So what Petalite seeks to do, and I, I must say, I don't drive an electric vehicle at the moment. I'm sure my next one will be, but at the moment I don't. So I haven't experienced firsthand some of the frustrations I understand users have around charging points not working. So they seek to provide a charging mechanism for charges that absolutely do work. They don't break down, but also the speed of the chargeability. So what I really liked about this business is... Firstly, the foresight. So this business seems to have its origin seven years ago. And seven years ago, not many of us were thinking about kind of electric vehicles. They were, they were still a bit minority, I think, a bit, a bit too green perhaps for many of us. But seven years ago, Lee was having that inkling that he needed to do something about um, the charging mechanism. So it's been a long time in the coming, but also it's really based in science as well. So this is building hardware and that's something else I like. So it's not just about sort of data and that aspect, sort of the, you know, the, the, the sort of soft tech aspects, but it's really about sort of hard tech. So hard science inside units that enable electric vehicles to charge very, very quickly and reliably. Lee was very short-footed um, when addressing questions on scalability. It uses commodity parts, so nothing too kind of fancy, sort of off-the-shelf parts, which will reduce cost. And also mass manufacturing. So this will go begin manufacturing next summer, 2022. So again, got the plan in place there and doesn't expect to be impacted by labour shortages at the moment. So on balance, an absolute imperative to enable us to charge up our electric vehicles quickly and persuade all of us that this isn't this should not be a barrier to us owning them. Very good. It's a very common thing to say, isn't it? My next car will be an electric vehicle. Kate, is your current car an electric or a hybrid? And what did you I think have a of hybrid this? at the moment, so I can certainly understand the appeal and if we are going to be able to move at the speed with which the UK government is hoping the UK will to adopt electric vehicles, one of the things we've got to have is reliable ways of charging. And I think that this is a very good solution. I mean, the speed with which a car could charge was very impressive. And if you think that at present, most of the producers of charging systems, the charges only last for a maximum of five years. And the testing on this is showing that you can have systems up and running that will last at least 17. And that, I think, is a really good outcome for all parties concerned. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think the government is 
solving this problem at the moment. I think the government is holding back, knowing that the private sector is is smart and nimble on its feet and sees an opportunity and is going to step in. So we saw another very interesting business in this same sector called Connected Curb in the in the London semi-final. I think there's just a whole lot of activity. Clive, are you, are you seeing that too? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, you know, in terms of where, where would Lee's business sit on the research and development angle, you know, scientific British invention, are, tick, tick, tick. Um, you know, the question really, I guess, from a commercial point of view is how far down the R and into D of that curve that business is. And is that the business to crack the market or is it... Is it going to get caught in some of the traps you see ahead? I mean, one thing I will say, having seen Lee as a West Midlands-based entrepreneur, you know, I saw him seven years ago stand up on a stage on his own. One thing I will say for him, it's, you know, he has a lot of resilience to have carried on, built a team, raised a lot of funding and still be going through a market which, you know, you talk about today, people have just started to wake up to the problem. I think it's fair to say seven years ago, I remember very little about the pitch on stage, uh, except most people thinking... This is nothing to do with us. Um, so, so one of the going back to entrepreneurial zeal and, and the like. One thing I think Lee you know, clearly has in his favour is a lot of grit. So, um, so back to you, Martin. Thank you very much. So, let me just say a word about the the fourth company we saw. It's called Regionally, and it's a it's a fintech. It's a intermediary in the investment business. It has set out to fill or help to fill the investment gap in the regions away from London and the city of London. The perceived problem being that there is simply less investor money about out there looking at, prepared to invest in exciting high-growth entrepreneur-led businesses that, that aren't represented in, in London and the southeast so much. They have observed that because of that gap, often... London-based companies with London backers, as it were, tend to be overvalued that they, relative to the, the ones in the regions and that the competing mechanism, which might be something like Crowdcube, crowdfunding sites, Cedars and so on, tend to produce kind of erratic results, i.e. they sometimes overfund businesses that are, that are overvalued by the mechanism and so on. So they're they're not reliable investment mechanisms in in a conventional sense. So this business is setting out to connect investors through IFAs and other uh, intermediaries out there to interesting businesses. It has an enhanced due diligence process. It claims it's going to shorten the timetable and make the whole process more efficient to get the money in, get the up to the point where the investor actually has the share certificate in their hand and so on, make all of that work really efficiently. It's a relatively new business, but it has behind it one very well-known name in the investment world, Justin Urquhart-Stewart, a veteran of, used to be at Barclays, then Seven Investment Management, you hear in broadcasting a lot. That's, you know, that gives it immediate profile. But we heard from Flora Gray, one of its executive team, young female leader of a business. That's great for our award scheme. And it's very clear what it's trying to do. And it's clear that that, that gap is not well filled at the moment, or we think it's not. But maybe other judges, you are doing business in the Midlands. Tell me, do you think there is an investment gap? And did this sound like a, a, a coherent way of, of filling the particular regional problem? Clive, let's, let's hear from you. 
Well, does the gap exist? Claire, likewise, Midlands-based, I've sat in 15, 20 years' worth of breakfast mornings, round-table debates, agonising articles in local press about this gap. Yes, the gap exists. Equally, the West Midlands produces some of the best entrepreneurs around in the world. Jim Sharp being one of our most notable examples over recent years, but that's you know, um, probably quite too many times in recent times. There are lots more besides Jim Sharp. Um, so, yeah, the gap exists. Is this the right venture to, to fill it? I guess my there's a lot to like about what the guys are trying to do. I guess the query at this stage, this is early. This is very early. Only a few deals at this stage, and that's not their fault. That's just simply the timing of our process today and where they're at. And I guess if you talk to some of the fund managers regionally, whether that be Mercia, Midven, um, in, in terms of the sort of Midlands Engine Funds or some of the other local or the private equity guys slightly further up the scale, they, they would argue that they've done a pretty good job over a number of years. So... For me, jury's out in, the, in terms of the, the innovation and, and the like, mostly because of the longevity of the business right now. I think there's a lot to like around pairing some of the people they've got together, the Danes and some of the other parties they talked about. Uh, I don't know what you think, Claire, as, as, again, from your, your travels locally, but that's a little bit more to do today, I think, from, from their side, simply because of their, 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 their youngness. What do you think? What do yeah, you think? I, I, I would agree with that. And uh, absolutely, the gap exists. And... It is early days to, to, to really see whether this will really make a difference. I mean, there's been lots of um, talks, and like you, I've sort of sat in on a number of things, listened to a lot of different kind of um, pitches about having some kind of forum for bringing investors with, with opportunities together and really making it work. So those are out there. They are quite difficult to really make work successfully. I think this kind of gap is often bridged through kind of networks. The bit I didn't get out of today's presentation was what the kind of what the technology piece was behind the platform, kind of what is innovative about it, other than bringing all the different strands together, sort of understanding a bit more about what the technology platform was behind that. My understanding is they took a straightforward white label of a crowdfunding platform and then bolted bits on. Yeah, so that the point there, I guess, is sort of what's where's the innovation? <laughs> okay, final word on this one. Kate, do you think, I mean, amongst the Charles Stanley wealth management client base... Do you think there's now sort of enhanced appetite for investing into uh, high growth companies directly by one mechanism or another? And do you think this mechanism would appeal more than, say, a crowdfunding opportunity or something in that field? An advantage of this one over just pure crowdfunding is that you've got a degree of regulation that gives it a degree of security. So you've got FCA-regulated partners built into it. You've got professional intermediaries who, in a way, are already vetted and reputable within it. So you're not quite so much at the mercy of the crowd, so to speak. I agree with Clive and Claire that the jury is still slightly out. It is very early days. They've only got two deals under their belt. It's a good concept. I liked the fact that they're thinking of moving into other areas. You know, India is, would be a very interesting environment in which to do something like this. And I know that they're also looking at the states. But yes, I think there would be an interest because of the degree of professionalism it brings. But you can get, we've got a large appetite of people to invest in things like AIM. This is the level below AIM. You need to mitigate the risk. Fine. Okay. Well, there we are. I think that's that's a very fair summary of the pros and cons of what we've seen in all all four of those companies. So, let me thank 
our three judges, Kate, Claire and Clive. It's always a pleasure to do these judging sessions and the podcasts afterwards. So I'll be moving on next week. I'll be talking to Yorkshire and Northeastern entrants in, I hope I'm going to Leeds to do that and not doing it on Zoom because I'm so old fashioned. I get excited even about going to Leeds. But there we are. Uh, so on we go with the Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards. Thank you very much indeed for listening to us, audience out there. Do take a look at the websites of all the entrant companies. I think their logos and names appear on the Spectator website where you find the podcast. And thank you for your interest in the award scheme. Thank you very much to everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>